Good morning, Element 3 Church. I am Mike Overstreet, one of the pastors here, and I welcome you this Sunday morning. I actually want to start today by talking about my latest obsession that has helped me get through these hard times. It's this documentary series that just came out about Michael Jordan called The Last Dance. And y'all, if you have not been watching this, you need to get on it. I am just addicted. More than anything, though, it's just gotten the NBA back on my brain in this desert and wilderness without sports. It is a wild, wild documentary so far. It's just crazy to go back and see how great and how competitive and how intense Jordan was. But while Jordan may be the greatest basketball player of all time, I actually want to talk today about what I consider to be the most entertaining player of all time. It's my boy, Allen Iverson. You see, Jordan's great and all, but I love Allen Iverson. He had it all. He was controversial. He was in your face. He was competitive. He was full of attitude. He was just a bulldog. Plus, he had the greatest crossover in NBA history, so watching him just drop people back and forth was one of my favorite things to watch. It made him a 5-foot, 11-inch walking bucket because he could just score on everybody. It was just so exciting. He was so much fun as a player. But more than anything, what I connected with him about was that he was basically my basketball spirit animal. I related deeply to his style of play. Like, do not pass me the ball because I'm going to shoot it every time, whether I'm open or not. I just want to get buckets when I play. But more than anything, I related to his attitude about practice. You see, when I was growing up, I used to hate practice. I hated the repetition. I hated being coached. Quite frankly, I hated being told what to do. I did not like it. I did not want it. I did not think I needed it. You see, I was always naturally good at sports. I was really athletic, believe it or not. I know it's crazy to think about now. I was coordinated. I was a quick learner. So I would just pick up sports quickly. I could just pick up a ball and usually play and usually be one of the better players amongst my small friend group in high school. It was just kind of effortless for me to step in and be pretty decent at a sport. So I never really got the point of practice. I related deeply to what Allen Iverson talked about, like practice? Why are we talking about practice? We're not talking about the game. We're talking about practice? I mean, just let me ball was my attitude. And I held that attitude until I went off to college at the University of Florida Go Gators and learned the hard way that I was the definition of a medium-sized fish in a very small pond. You see, the University of Florida has a ton of people come through its doors who played sports at high levels in high school but don't pursue them at the collegiate level because they choose to pursue academics as their focus instead. In other words, what that means practically is that UF had many kids who could have played at the collegiate level chose not to, and now get their competitive kicks at the pickup courts on campus with all of us normal people. So I arrived with a lot of ego and not realized that I was about to learn a lot of lessons in humility, because quite frankly, I got humiliated more than once. I still remember the first time I got blocked off the backboard. I was coming up, I was being kind of lazy because I was used to just being faster than anyone else. Go up for that soft layup, and then out of nowhere, bam! Off the backboard, pinned, I fall to the ground. I'm looking up like a kid who just like stubbed his toe, like, what happened to me? <sighs> and the guy just looked back and smirked. But the lesson I learned more than any other 
was that my attitude towards practice really cost me. See, early on, I remember more than once getting matched up with people who just didn't look like they belonged, right? I remember this one guy, he shows up, he's short, he's not very athletic, he has short shorts, goggles, like a dorky headband, the works. And I'm overconfident, I look at him and I'm like, this is gonna be easy, this guy can't guard me, I'm ready to cook, ready to get my points, right? And suddenly, when the game starts, I learned very quickly that that's not how this was gonna go. You see, immediately, he just started hounding me on defense. He was in my face. No matter where I went, he had perfect footwork, and I couldn't get around him. It was just like, suddenly, this guy was all over me, and nothing I could do seemed to work. And what happened was I fell apart. You see, with pressure in my face, I suddenly found that I couldn't stop thinking about what I should be doing. He's coming at me this way. No, he's coming at me this way. I need to dribble like this. No, I need to do this. And suddenly, there was a gap between the game, my brain, and my ability to react, which meant I was always behind. I was constantly off balance, and suddenly I was in my own head. And if you have ever played basketball, once you start thinking about the game while trying to play it, it's over, you're cooked, it's done. The person guarding you owns you. And that's exactly what happened to me. And I got crushed. And in hindsight, what happened is obvious. You see, I was okay naturally at playing basketball, but without practice, without discipline, without repetition, without learning the moves of second nature, learning how to play without thinking, well, I couldn't get out of my head. I couldn't stop thinking about what to do. I didn't know how to just play, which meant I couldn't just be a basketball player. And more than anything, what that really meant was I could handle myself in easy competition, but when real pressure came, I couldn't keep up. And that lesson has proven true in so many facets of my life, but particularly, it has proven true in my spirituality. You see, I once believed that these things of the spiritual life, like peace, trust, love, patience, mercy, hope, would just come naturally to me when I needed them. I used to tell myself, I'm a Christian. It's me and Jesus. What is there to practice, right? It's boring, and you don't need to tell me how to do my walk with God anyway. Don't tell me what to do. Practice? But what you see, the, the problem is, is that attitude only works until pressure, stress, and crisis arrive. You see, those good teachers, those teachers that we love to hate, they tend to expose the delusion beneath the attitude that I held. It's this delusion where I believe that despite who I was in my daily life, I can and will just be different in moments where real pressure, stress, crisis, and trials come. It's the delusion where I would tell myself, yeah, I'm self-centered, I'm judgmental, I'm anxious, I'm angry and controlling, and even the smallest things in my daily life, like when I'm driving in a car on my way to work. But when it matters most, when the trials come, when the stress comes, when the crisis comes, I'm just gonna be totally different. I'm just gonna rise to the occasion. Forget who I am in my daily life, I'm just gonna be a superhero, right? I'm gonna put on my cape and be a totally different Mike when it matters most. And guess what? I don't do that. You see, who I am without pressure is who I am with pressure, but more so. 
It's just like with basketball. I never practiced dribbling or shooting without pressure in an empty gym, learning to do these things without thought as second nature, so I didn't just get better when pressure came and was thrown into my face. No, the opposite happened. I fell apart. I fell into my worst habits. I didn't just suddenly become Allen Iverson. I got flustered. I laid bricks. I dribbled the ball off my foot. I got blocked. And the same has proven true in my spiritual life. Without practicing those things like peace, trust, selflessness, non-judgment in my daily life, well, I don't just do those things better when the pressure of this life comes. The exact opposite tends to happen. When stress comes, when crisis comes, it brings them out more, doesn't it? I get more anxious. I get more self-centered. I get more controlling, more judgmental, more angry. And maybe I don't need to ask this, but am I describing anyone's world right now in this season? Any of you feeling attacked right now? Did any of you have this season come and suddenly your anxiety went through the roof? The desire for control shot out. That self-centeredness grew. Did you become more apathetic, more angry, more judgmental of other people, more distrustful? And don't lie to your pastor now. Don't do that. And I'm not reading your mind. You're not alone in this. This is so human. We all fall into this trap. We forget that to be able to do something different under pressure means that we must get to the point where we don't have to think about acting differently because it just comes out of who we are. And this is so true for spirituality. To be like Jesus when it matters most requires that we get to this point where we can stop asking ourselves and thinking, what would Jesus do in a given situation? Because we have grown to be just like him in all situations. And that is the goal of the Christian life. And you get to that through the thing I hate most, practice, practice, practice. It's a paradox, really. To get to where we can stop trying to do and just be, we must commit to a new kind of trying and doing first. Committing to practicing new disciplines, habits that teach us to find and to be transformed by those spiritual things like peace, love, trust, surrender, hope in our daily lives so we can learn to just be those things every day and thus when it matters most. And I don't know about you, But does anyone else think that they might want to learn how to just be in this season? I know I do. So that is where we're going to go in this next series that we're calling Just Be. We are going to explore what it means for us to transform from human doings to human beings through the time-tested spiritual disciplines, habits, and practices of our faith. We are going to look at practices grounded in the scriptures and passed down through Christian tradition for centuries that teach us to stop doing, doing, doing so we can learn to just be in the midst of any season of this life. And I'm just so excited. I think this is just going to speak to where I'm at in this season, and I hope it speaks to you too. And to begin, I actually want to unpack the bedrock of this series. What does it mean to just be. And for me, it's about a phrase that has just become central to my spirituality. 
It's this phrase, being present. It's the idea of just being here, now, in the moment, no matter what is going on around me in the world. And to dive into it, I actually want to turn to this perfect image from the Gospel of Matthew about what it means to be present, why it's so important, and why most of us, if we're really honest, are far worse at it than we think we are. It's a teaching of Jesus about how we should understand and respond to the worries and anxieties of our life. We begin in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? So Jesus begins by listing these things that are essential to our survival, right? Food, drink, clothes, the things that keep our body alive, that keep us alive. And then he tells us not to worry about them. At which point I'm like, right, Jesus. Okay, right? (laughs) Now, Jesus isn't telling you to not eat, to not drink, or to not wear clothes. Pastor Mike is not giving you permission to do that, so don't hear that. No, no, this is way more interesting. And I want to unpack this teaching. I want to go through this text bit by bit because I think it's just powerful. And I want to begin by talking about the word that we find here, worry. You see, this word worry in Greek is actually this word marinao. It, it translates better to intense concern, worry, or anxiety. And it's a fascinating word. You see, at times in the New Testament, it can actually be a positive thing. For example, when we read the scriptures, it says that when we focus our marinao, our intense concern upon what God is doing in the world, his will, caring for the poor, justice, what it means to follow him, that it's actually a positive thing. That it's a good thing when we focus this intense concern of our life on the things that God is concerned about. But here, it's a negative. You can tell because Jesus prohibits it, right? He says, do not do it. And I think it's all about the direction and the proportion of it when Jesus talks about it in this text. Look at how Jesus words it. He says, do not focus the marinao of your life and body on what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. It's the image of intense concern over things in the future, things that might happen over needs that don't even exist yet. And Jesus says focusing our marinao in this way costs us something far more valuable than those things that we anxiously worry over. He says that we miss the life that those things were even for. And this is powerful. This misdirection, this misproportion of our worry and our anxiety leads us to miss the far more valuable gift of God, our life, Jesus says. And then he says, don't do it. Don't worry in this way. And he continues on, and this is where it gets really cool to me. We pick up in verse 26. Jesus continues. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See, the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor has dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you 
of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the, the non-believers run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will wor have worries of its own. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I mean, this is a wild teaching, right? Jesus says, do not worry over these future things you can't control. Instead, look at the birds. And I'm like, I don't know, Jesus. Looking at birds doesn't usually solve my crippling anxiety about the future. But this is deep wisdom when you get beneath the surface of it. Just think about it. Change your perspective. Jesus says, no, no, no. Look at the intense concern that our God shows to the birds. He provides for them, doesn't he? Doesn't he, he provide for their needs in every moment? And do they anxiously distrust that concern from their father? Does a bird anxiously go around thinking about what it means to be a bird, what it needs to do to make sure it's a bird still tomorrow? No, a bird trusts inherently in what it was created to be and in that it finds the freedom to just be what it was created to be. And then Jesus points to the field around him and he says, look, God clothes the grass with beautiful flowers. I mean, grass is the most transitory, impermanent part of creation, is it not? It's there one day, it dies, and it's gone tomorrow. And yet, Jesus says God even shows deep concern for its well-being. He goes out of its way to cover it with the deepest kind of beauty. The smallest part of our natural world is more beautiful than anything we make, Jesus says. He says, look at the flowers. How much more beautiful is that than anything we create? And a flower doesn't try to be a beautiful thing, does it? It's made by God, and it just is beautiful. And in that, it's what it was created to be. And then Jesus turns to us, as he so often does. He turns it right back at us. He says, we can see how God cares and provides for the smallest things in our world. It's obvious. And yet, we humans spend so much of our life anxiously chasing things that aren't worth our life's focus, and they're often things that we already have. If you are focused on this moment, if you are truly here in the present moment, you would realize we aren't naked, we aren't hungry, we're not dead right now. But we still misdirect our concern onto the future, worrying over every little thing we tell ourselves might not be there tomorrow if we don't control every little thing today. And to that, Jesus says, you of little faith, we clearly have a good, trustworthy, generous God, and yet we distrust in this pursuit of anxious control. And he says, stop it. You can't worry away all of life's troubles or worry another day onto the length of your life. It doesn't help you. Just stop it. And he prohibits it because I think it does cost us something. It may not help us, but it certainly costs us. Just think about it. In that internal posture, Jesus says, we end up missing the two most precious gifts that God has already provided us, our life in his kingdom. We miss the present moments of our life as we think backwards and we look forward. And in that, we miss God's kingdom right in front of us. We lose our ability to see and discern his will and his righteousness in a given moment 
and thus we can't take part in where he's working. We just miss it. And y'all, I think this, I think this nails it. I believe that most of us, myself more than probably most, are far less present than we think we are. See, I realized a couple years ago that when it comes down to it, I lived my life with a gap between me and the present moment. A gap defined by a list of should be's, ought to be's, has to be's, must be's. Things in my life should be this way. I should have a better job. I should have more money. I should have more friends. I ought to be more successful, more recognized, more loved. Things in my life have to go. They must go a certain way for me to be okay, whether that's my reality or not. And in that discontentment towards my actual reality, I would spend my days living somewhere between the past and the future, You see, I would say things like this. Things aren't how they should be. So I would dwell on the past that got me to where I am now. I would tell myself over and over again that I could dissect my past enough. I could play out every what if, every should have been, every event and decision that I regretted. And I would think that somehow by doing that, I could change it. But we can't change the past, can we? We can only accept it and be changed by it in how we live in the present. And when I wasn't in the past, I was obsessed with the future. I was just so afraid of its uncertainty, so I would cope with that uncertainty by believing that if I could just control enough of my world and manipulate enough of the events around me, then I could prevent any future suffering from coming my way. I just had to commit myself enough to anxiously planning for every possibility. And also, I had to get to my, this point where I could just create finish lines, right? I would tell myself, if I could just get blank, then I'll be fine. So, what do you do in those spaces? You anxiously plan. You try to control. And here's the hard part. You get to the finish line. You get that thing you want sometimes, and it wouldn't actually fix everything. So, I would tell myself, oh, the problem was it wasn't that finish line. It's actually the next one. I would move the goalposts. No, no, it wasn't that I just needed to get through college. It's actually that I needed, if I could just get the right job, then, then everything would be fine. Oh no, if I could just get the right relationship, oh no, no, then everything would be fine. Finish lines, finish lines, finish lines, wash and repeat. I spent my life dwelling in the past and anxiously trying to control the future all while missing the only place I had any real influence or control, the present moment. And it turns out that our lives are just a series of present moments, moments with myself, my family, my friends, my God. And when I miss those present moments one at a time, well, guess what? I end up missing my life, the gift that God's been trying or has already given me. I end up doing a lot without ever really being present or here for it. So in other words, I was really good at human doing, but not great at human being. And I think Jesus nails the other cost of this internal posture too. I think he's right that we miss God's kingdom as well in that space. Because let me ask you this, if we miss the present moment, what's going on around us, who's around us, because we're in our own heads, how are we going to be able to see and take part in what God is doing around us 
in the present moment. How receptive can we be to the spirit when it pushes us to stop anxiously doing what we're doing and just be with someone who is hurting? How open can we be when God nudges us to acts of service if we can't see the needs around us because our focus is on every little thing that might not happen tomorrow? How can we hear God gently whisper to us that you are loved without doing anything? Just because you're a human being, you are loved. If we live our entire life in our own head, Jesus gets it. We may be able to reflect on God in the past and hope for God in the future, but we only find God in the present moments of our life, which means that when we miss the present, we miss him and what he's calling us to do too. And none of that becomes less true in crisis, pressure, and stress. I don't know about you, but I never learned how to just be present in my daily life. So I had no chance of being present in seasons where my stress went through the roof. Now is anyone feeling attacked? Don't lie to your pastor now. But in this, Jesus gives us profound direction. Look at and learn from the birds and the flowers. Devote your concern, your maranao, to one thing, finding and trusting God today by seeking his kingdom, his will, his righteousness, his presence alone. Not tomorrow, right here, right now. Jesus has learned to find and rely on God in the present moment. And before you know it, you're going to learn how to trust God one day at a time. Before you know it, you're going to learn to trust God with tomorrow as well. And if you commit to and practice that, Jesus says you will begin to learn to just be present, grounding yourself here and now, which is good news because that's the only place we can actually be. That is what it means to transform from human doing to human being, I believe. That is what it means to just be. But... Frustratingly, Jesus, the Bible, Christian tradition, they all agree on one thing. Getting there isn't just a switch we flip on. It takes practice, practice, practice. Committing ourselves to different kinds of doing so we can learn this new kind of being. One that lets us just be in every moment and season of our lives in the calm and the crisis alike. Does anyone want more of that in this season? So, For the next weeks, the next season of our church, we are going to look at these spiritual practices and disciplines that develop this Matthew 6 state of mind. Practices and disciplines that teach us to just be centered in the midst of chaos, to just be peace in the midst of our fears, to just be trust in the midst of our doubts, to just be content in the midst of our struggles, to just be hope in the midst of our grief and despair learning to look at the flowers and the birds so we could truly just be present in every moment of this silly, stupid, precious gift from God that we call life. That's a journey I need, and it's one I'm excited to go on with this community. Let's pray.
Father God, we are just so grateful that you are here. We are just so grateful that you are a God of presence. God, help us find you in this season. Help us practice what it means to be here now so we can be a part of what you're calling us to. God, we pray for your spirit over the next couple weeks. We pray for your presence. We pray that we would be more present. We pray that you would open our hearts to what you're doing in the world. Thank you, God. We love you. We thank you for this life. And we ask for your grace. And all these things I pray in your name. Amen.